Greetings and welcome to episode 16 of The Flight Stuff, an Alpha Flight podcast. My name is Liam O'Donnell, editor-in-chief of Cinepunks.com. My name is Adriana Gober, managing editor of Cinepunks.com. And I'm Doug Tilly, a contributor to Cinepunks.com. And Liam, I have to uh, uh, compliment you on the smooth intro you just did to the podcast. It's very well done. (laughs) I heard your voice crack a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> Obviously, you wanted to get it right the first time, and I really, you know, applause for you, young man. <laughs> um, well, hey, I'm just excited. We are here uh, together, virtually recording, and nothing brings me more joy than discussing the adventures and misadventures of basically the only respectable thing to come out of Canada, which isn't really from Canada, Alpha Flight. Okay, I mean, so I that- feel like you're 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 jabbing me right now. I'm not going to respond. <laughs> I'm a little more mature than that. But I have a question for you before we get started, Liam. It's something. Let's that, do it. So I've read online about Alpha Flight that when we're referring to the group, we refer to them as the Alphans. Uh, is that something we're going to do on the show? Are they the Alphans when we refer to Alpha Flight? I mean, my immediate response to that is one of uh, revulsion, but I'm going to mm. ask Adriana what she thinks. Are Should we call them Alphans? Is that a thing we should just do from now on? Well, that term is used to refer to them in the actual comic. So, in the, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know it is. So we're going to do it now? That's what we're going to do from now on? I don't think we have to, but uh, okay, it, it wouldn't be incorrect. <laughs> it would not be incorrect is usually how I decide everything I'm doing in life. It would be incorrect. Liam, why don't you tell us all the latest news about the Alphans? Oh, look at you now trying to segue me and use the term. Uh, well, mm-hmm. the the toy maestros over at Hasbro have revealed plans uh, for an Alpha Flight six-pack figure set in its Marvel Legends line. Now, apparently, I think they've had other Alpha Flight characters before, but this is a specific set that was announced at uh, Fan Expo Canada. Of course, it was announced in Canada because no one else cares on Friday. Mm. Uh, The Alpha Flight (laughs) six-pack is already available for pre-order on Amazon. Uh, You, Doug, provided us a picture here of this set. We've got Snowbird. We've got uh, Shaman. We've got uh, Northstar and Puck. So Heather is Vindicator, right? Is that is that the the yes. her her name? And then uh, Aurora, uh, no Sasquatch. But Doug, you were saying that you had seen a Sasquatch figure somewhere else. It's just not part of this set. I've seen some posed collections of these figures with Sasquatch in the background. I think maybe Sasquatch was part of. I might be wrong on this, and if you listeners are uh, big collectors of Marvel figures, you can correct us. But I think Sasquatch was one of those Build-A-Figures where you got pieces in individual packages, and then you can piece them together since he's so much larger than a usual figure. Uh, But uh, So I think he already exists. But there is uh, a figure notoriously missing from this package, Liam, and I have to say, I'm... Box? You're referring to Box? You're thinking of Box. Box You're referring to Box. Or Jeffries. Box and Jeffries are Wave 2 Alpha Flight collection. Oh, there's, sure, sure. There's an OG Alpha Flight member who is conspicuously absent. and I Guardian. Guardian, uh, yeah, good point. Well, that, that is correct. Look, you got a Guardian surrogate, a worse Guardian, let's say, but still one included. Stop. But there's a, a core member missing. Wolverine. And as a Canadian, I feel like it's a slight specifically against me. Oh, you're talking about Marina. Uh, Marina, and I will say, we're going to talk a little bit about Marina today, even though she's not included in the issues we're about to talk about. But uh, I have to say, they better be holding this figure back for some sort of special release. Maybe, you know, maybe they feel like... So this package of figures is is retailing for like a little over $100 for six figures. Um, maybe they felt like, you know, if you put add Marina in, it'll balloon that price up to $200, $300. You got to release it separately make it a collector's item because uh, they know the the uh, the people out there want it. They desire it. Adriana, how stoked are you on these toys? And are you also angry that there's no whatever her name is? Marina, is that <laughs> it? I forget. I'm uh, I'm comfortable with the absence of Marina. <laughs> Sorry, Doug. Uh, I used to be a lot more into action figures and collectibles like this. Um, not so much anymore, but they do seem to be of pretty nice quality, so I can see how they'd be appealing to collectors. And, uh, you know, I hope everybody who purchases a pack is happy with it. Doug, are you going to acquire these toys, and will you leave them in the container and never play with them? Well, I 
I'm a grown man who I couldn't possibly play with toys. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, I will have to say, I like the figures. I think look really nice. Uh, but the one of that grouping that seems the most fun is Puck. Uh, maybe it's because you know he has the different dimensions and things like that. That's the one that I'm really interested in. But I bet you can't actually purchase these individually. I don't know if I have necessarily you know hundred. Probably in Canadian money, it's probably $130, $140 to necessarily devote to some Alpha Flight action figures, which legit, my wife will just go, do not put those in a place where people can see them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I don't know, but I have to say, I'm very glad they exist. And this is an Alpha Flight podcast, so there's a part of me that feels like it's our responsibility, if not our duty, to support this. Though I'll tell you what. What would really make a lot of sense, which is that if you are a representative of Marvel or perhaps uh, the uh, company releasing these toys, uh, that maybe you'd be Hasbro. able to Hasbro that you could provide them for us for some sort of you know big giveaway. And but when I giveaway, I mean I can keep them <laughs> in my apartment. <laughs> here's the thing, and look at them. Every here's once the thing, in a while. Hasbro. Send Doug the toys. We'll make an yes. unboxing video. We'll put it up on the Cinepunks website. It will go viral in a second. Just because people will be so horrified at Doug unboxing this thing. I'm thinking yeah. this thing would take over the whole internet. You'd break the internet, Doug. I'll I'll actually dress myself as the character box. So it'll be an unbox boxing video, right? It'll be like a double box. Uh, I feel like that is the kind of thing that goes viral very easily. Uh, because I, people like to see... People dressed as things unboxing things. Well, that was upsetting, and it's going to haunt mm-hmm. my nightmares. So let's go ahead and jump into yes. our first issue here. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Alpha Flight uh, numbers 31 and 32. Uh, so let's start with 31. Alpha Flight 31 is from February 1986. Mm. The cover is uh, by our man Mike. Mignola. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Bill Bantlow. Penciled by Mike Mignola as well. I'm going to get it right one of these days. Um, Doug, why don't you tell us what happens in this issue of Alpha Flight? Well, we should note, actually, even before we get started, this is the final issue, at least for as far as I've looked ahead, that is penciled by Mike Mignola, even though he uh, sticks around on the covers for a while. Uh, And I feel like that's something that's going to be a point of discussion when we talk about the art over the next few issues. So this story, Liam, is called The Grateful Dead. Um, and it's actually, the issue is dedicated to, uh, Mike Higgins, who is, uh, I had to look it up. He's an, a, Mar- a Marvel assistant editor who's a big deadhead, a fan of the Grateful Dead, the band, Liam. So they dedicated this issue to him because the story is called The Grateful Dead. Uh, so the story proper. Remember that corpse, Liam, that came to life at the end of the most recent issue? Apparently, yeah, apparently that corpse was actually, maybe people were supposed to know this, I didn't, was a reconstituted, deadly earnest, who you may recall, longtime listeners, was a villain that the Alphans tangled with back in issue number eight. So this is going way back. Uh, so he wanders around Montreal for a bit with Nemesis. You might remember Nemesis was literally deadly earnest Nemesis. She sliced him to bits uh, so none of the uh, the Alpha Flight members would have to kill him. She's back again. She's chasing him around Montreal. So Alpha Flight are also in pursuit after Scramble. Remember, that's Jeffrey's brother. He confirms that his brain is now fixed. He's going to go back to doctoring instead of joining Alpha Flight, which I actually was kind of disappointed by. So Alpha Flight meet up with Ernest in a subway station. He quickly, he like immediately rips the souls out of all of them. He can, uh, for those who can't remember, he can basically kill people by touching them. Though in this case, it's interpreted as they don't exactly die. They just lose their souls and then it's, it, it's permanent after a little while. So, uh, all the members except for Heather and Puck are, uh, disabled and, um, Puck is then tasked by Nemesis to go after, uh, Ernest, uh, and is given her sword. Uh, so she can take care of their bodies and make sure that they don't lose their souls. So Ernest has taken Heather as a hostage, and while Puck is promised never to kill, he ended up, ends up slicing off Ernest's arm and then his head. <laughs> and after, uh, basically, he gets really upset because he sees that Heather has been injured. Thankfully, the Montreal Metro, their subway, it comes along, runs over Ernest's uh, still living body parts, finishing him off for good. Nemesis uses the power of her sword to give the members of Alpha Flight back their souls before uh, revealing that Ernest's death is tied directly to her own own ability to live and she just turns into dust and we'll talk about that in a minute as well uh there is one uh, brief sub story in the issue uh shaman he finds he's he's still going on his uh mystical journey while snowbird and doug thompson are uh chasing him around he finds a magic cabin cabin where his grandfather's spirit attempts to help him get his magic groove back 
One quick correction. The train mm. doesn't actually finish off Deadly Earnest. The comic makes it clear that after he's hit by the train, Puck must go slice up all the pieces into oh, even smaller right. pieces. I guess at some point there's there's sm- so small he doesn't have the souls anymore. I don't know what what that's about, but it gets grosser. He he mm. definitely tells Heather to turn away from the grossness. Right, and it also I guess kind of establishes that he can't avoid the task of killing. Like it's it's his responsibility to do it, even though he finds a lot of guilt in that. Right, which you know I, uh, I we'll, we'll get more into that as well. But let's start where uh, you know. Uh, people who've read this issue when it first came out would have started with the cover. Uh, Adriana, what do you think of this cover for issue number 31 drawn by uh, our man Mike? Well, I don't know how either of you feel about it, but this cover looks kind of rushed or unfinished to me. Um, If you look at Puck's legs, they just kind of disappear. Those look like motion lines, so I think Mignola was probably trying to indicate movement and speed and and that puck was moving quickly mid-air but i think that was executed poorly and and it doesn't really communicate that it just looks like somebody got lazy finishing that figure uh same with aurora <laughs> you know so whether this was a line work issue or a coloring issue or even a printing issue it just isn't well articulated um that said, uh, there is some nice cross-hatching in the background, which is a style I really love. But uh, overall, I would say that this is the weakest cover we've seen so far from Mignola, uh, especially compared to the cover of the previous issue. Some strong criticism from Adriana. Doug, I know that you're going to disagree, and this might be the end of our podcast. Yeah, I'm in prepare for that. No, <laughs> I agree, actually, entirely. I, I do like certain elements of it. Uh, certainly, I like the skulls on the right-hand side because yeah. they're skulls. <laughs> yeah. But I think unfinished is the way to describe this. Uh, I do like that Nemesis costume so much. I feel like it does have that visual flair. I know we mentioned that back when we were talking about issue number eight. But it is nice to see it back again. Um, and I feel like it does add something to it. But it does have that kind of big, circular, open space that uh, that draws the eye on the cover, and there's nothing to it. Also, it's kind of weird that they've they've made it look like North Star is the one that's in peril in this issue, when really it's the whole group outside of uh, Puck and Heather who end up, uh, you know, really being at the mercy of Deadly Earnest. It doesn't really represent what we see inside to any great extent. It feels like it's it was on its way to being um, something. A little more visually interesting, maybe even <laughs> including a few more members of Alpha Flight on the cover proper. But uh, Adriana is absolutely right; it just feels unfinished. Yeah, I uh, I gotta agree with both of y'all. This cover doesn't work, and and I feel like a lot of uh, Mignola's work has been really impressive uh, up to here. I mean, it hasn't been that much stuff, but what we've seen has been really good. So it's weird to see this. This borders on fan art for me. It's just not. It doesn't look up to par for a sure. comic that's about to hit the 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 uh, streets for sale. You know what I mean? It, it, at best, it looks like something you would draw at a convention as like a fun, like, look at this thing. You can put it up on your wall. You paid me 20 bucks for it. You know what I mean? Like this, it, it doesn't look ready for mass consumption to me. Adriana mentioned how poorly Aurora is uh, drawn on this cover. And now that I'm looking at it, like just like focusing on it, well, like, what a strange inclusion. It looks like she's coming out of a portal of some kind where she's only half finished. Yeah, there's a there's some real problems with it. And I think I was so fixated on the skulls that I, I didn't notice how many problems actually existed. Well, and I think it's supposed to be interpretive, right? Like she's she's shining her light. And so yeah, she's right. so bright, you can't see mm-hmm. details. But it doesn't work on this cover, especially with a background that's also bright. So you the effect is not as interesting. If she was behind if she was, for example, in front of the blackness of whatever that's supposed to be, then you would see more um her, her, it, the contrast would make it clearer that she's shining bright instead of looking like someone didn't finish drawing her. You know what I mean? So well, the the cover didn't impress us, but maybe the issue will. Uh, we have the return of Deadly Earnest. It's funny you said, Doug, you didn't know. That's imme- As soon as I saw it, I knew. I was like, all right, here we go. Deadly Earnest. He's, co- <laughs> he's he's coming back. But then I remembered I didn't really care about that issue number eight. I mean, the, the as far as him, I, I liked seeing more uh, in that series that we, you know, we did so long ago of seeing more of Northstar's life and his his 
backstory and stuff. But I, I found Ernest to be not, you know, the the most compelling villain. And here he comes back, and uh, funny enough, uh, he's he's punk rock Ernest. Is De- Deadly Ernest get, gets the the Terminator treatment, and, uh, beats someone up, <laughs> and puts on random clothes, and you know he's out in the nightlife. It, you know, I guess a part of Montreal that looks exactly like Times Square, New York. And uh, yeah, it's like the red light district, or uh, or the yeah. Judas in New York. Yeah, one hundred percent. I found this opening very odd because the man that he kills. Uh, well, it happens outside of what looks like a straight sex club with a peep show, but mm-hmm. this dude is dressed like he's going to the Ramrod. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's an interesting choice. Well, it, and, and I felt like it was probably part of uh, the whole – at this point, a lot of media is just anyone with leather is a, a street delinquent, whether that's supposed to be a punk or a biker. It's like ev- every sort of representation of a, a young ne'er-do-well yeah. is the same outfit. And it's really a cross of, you know, leather daddy, uh, British punk rocker, and biker from a 70s film all smushed together, usually. Sure. So, you know, it's that same sort of thing of like, well, he just, he finds a guy on the street. He probably dressed crazy. I don't know. Uh, but then it's like Ernest is like finding himself on the streets of Montreal. Apparently, like it's this whole thing. Uh, Doug, what did, what did you think of this return of Deadly Ernest, the reintroduction of Nemesis? All this did this work for you? Was this exciting? Uh, I know you you like um, uh, uptight dandies, which Ernest was last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he's a little bit more down to earth. That might have not worked for you. How'd you feel about this issue? What I liked most about it was the idea of a the fact is Alpha Flight doesn't really have a lot of repeating villains at this point. They certainly don't have like kind of a core main villain. And I know that Deadly Ernest is not going to be that thing. But I like – I kind of like the idea. It's so funny. When I was reading this issue, I was thinking I like the idea that Bill Mantlow is going back into Burns' um, issues of Alpha Flight and pulling out things and referring back to them and kind of creating a continuity within it and addressing things. And uh, as we'll get to in the next issue, uh, my feelings on that changed a lot after after uh, after what happens in this particular. I like this issue. Uh, I did like um, that it it's very – it kind of feels like a little leftover piece of the last issue because so much happens in the next one. But it it was kind of nice to see the group working together for the most part, even if again they they were the ones who unleashed the villain um, once again, <laughs> and they are they do seem to be kind of woefully inadequate at actually stopping him. If it wasn't for Nemesis, it seems like they probably wouldn't have been able to stop him. Um, but I did like the kind of simple idea behind it, which is like you said, it, it, there's a clear kind of Terminator influence. This this person can touch people and kill them. He is. Uh, loose in downtown Montreal, we need to stop him before he causes this wave of destruction. He could literally take over the entire planet, and it's only us who know about him and know enough to be able to uh, prevent that from happening. So, you know, I kind of like that that it, it has a very tight construction to it. The problem, of course, is that Deadly Ernest isn't a very interesting character. He has that really great backstory, and they do reiterate it here about him being in the war and rejecting death and things like that. And I like the fact that he himself has this kind of person who is tasked with stopping him uh, in the form of Nemesis. But I feel like it doesn't take as advantage of um, of that history, of those interesting elements as they could. It basically comes down to, I mean, he might as well be something like the Juggernaut or something like that. It's, this is a really difficult to beat baddie, and this is how we're going to do it. It didn't feel like, it didn't feel like the, um, the risk was as high as some of the characters sometimes voiced that it was. Yeah, and to your point about Mantlo not really minding that backstory as much as he could have, we actually learn what Nemesis connection is. Uh, to Deadly Earnest, but we do so at the very last second through one brief line of dialogue. Yeah. So it would have been interesting mm-hmm. to see more of her relationship with him because it seems like there's the potential to have some really interesting tension and drama there, but w- we don't really get it. Yeah, you're exactly right. It also doesn't make a lot of sense because the idea is that at the end when she makes her reveal, uh, and, and, and because he's now dead, she just turns to dust but didn't she think he was dead before the first time alpha flight beat them she did but i think there was a moment where she was saying she didn't really understand why she kept persisting and then she figured out oh it's because he wasn't actually dead so she still had unfinished business oh sure yeah 
One aspect of her character that's really interesting is that she shares a lot of similarities with the DC Comics character Katana, mm. uh, who I think actually predates Nemesis by a year or two. But uh, at any rate, it's just that that whole concept of a sword that takes the souls of the people it kills, uh, or in the case of Nemesis, the souls of the people deadly earnest killed. Um, well, the, the treatment of her is part of my frustration, though, in that you know she is a character who exists entirely to fight one person yeah like that is her whole character and then in this issue she gets hit by box and then she gives her sword to puck and then we get basically the setup for the next issue in a way this whole thing is just about setting up more of the pain and struggle of what it means to be puck so that the next issue will have more impact and oh boy does it have an impact just not the one i think that they (laughs) wanted to have but uh but that's the only reason this exists and for me I, i don't know that her what we get is like a two second backstory that's not even what i need to be compelling about her i'm with doug her design is so cool and the use of the weird swords is so cool that I just want a little bit more of that. And I want her to have her moment in a way. So the fact that so quickly she has to abandon her purpose to give Puck the duty to do it while she keeps his friends alive. It just felt, uh, I I guess I could have dealt with that happening eventually, but it, it just seemed to happen very quickly. And, and, yeah. and I don't, it just wasn't satisfying to me as a reader. I, I wish they had gone a different direction with it. Uh, and I'd probably, I would just be honest. I'd probably feel differently if the setup for puck that if this setup of puck breaking his one rule and corrupting his soul a little bit and whatever that leads to the next issue, it'd be a little different if the next issue was great and not, kind of not cool so uh so maybe that is affecting my view as well but i I felt kind of dissatisfied with that aspect of an otherwise i thought really kind of fun story you know bringing back Ernest and whatever one thing i didn't really care for in this issue uh, is the characterization of heather as once again completely useless and (laughs) self-pitying like she gets grabbed by deadly Ernest and immediately gives up she just starts babbling about how she deserves to die. She doesn't act very heroically, and, and she doesn't even try to. Like It's very frustrating the way Mantlo has been handling her character, and it does it does kind of improve in the next issue, but, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm kind of done with I, it. I, 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 the only thing I can say, because you're exactly right, and I felt that same frustration, is it feels kind of like that they're doing it on purpose to set up the decisions that she makes in the next issue, which is that you have to show her as being weak because it, it, it will justify the decision that she makes. I know we're talking around it, but we'll get to it in just a second anyway. Uh, and that's the only justification I can have because you're right. I, I mean, I've been joking a little bit about how ineffective I think of Heather is as a leader, but that also defines how she sees herself. She keeps talking about it. It's like, do I deserve to be leader? And the answer from her actions is no you're not a very good leader see but this is where i see and 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 maybe this is me attributing too much to burn but i don't know that i really believe that burn didn't in some way see her doing this eventually but it feels like as soon as he hands it off to mantlo mantlo's answer to like why does she put the suit on the suit is a sort of source of trauma she wouldn't want to go back to that trauma why does she put the suit on mantlo's answer to that is weakness she does it because she's weak and i think if burn had stuck with the series though i don't know why he would because he didn't seem to care about it towards the end he would have gone the other direction she does it because she's strong because she says hey i am the leader and since i am the leader i'm gonna put the suit on because i'm the only you know worthy successor to my husband and i feel like that's a much more interesting character development because you know the same way I, i mean this is what's so frustrating to me about this characterization james hudson also not great it's we the 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 way that heather talks it's like how could she possibly live into the giant footprints of her husband right. who is actually <laughs> a nerd who had no right to lead the team who was pretty bad at it and ended up dying so like i i i get that on a personal level she feels that shadow because she loves him and she misses him and that pain but as like his performance there's no reason she couldn't be just as good as he was like we have given no information other than the science stuff which it doesn't seem like he was doing a lot of science as guardian anyway other than his degrees 
he doesn't seem to me any more qualified than her. They're both people who just put on a cool suit and are willing to lead. And and that willingness can't be because they have a suit on. It has to be because of something in who they are. And I feel like that's the direction that maybe Byrne was going. I'm projecting there. Maybe he wasn't, but that's how it felt to me in those last few issues. And Mantlo instead almost has her leading out of weakness. And that seems weird to me. Yeah, I completely agree. And it seemed that definitely Byrne was going in the other direction with Heather. Uh, we're going to talk about this soon enough, but he also takes, or Mantlo also takes Puck in a completely different direction from where it seemed Byrne was taking him as well. <laughs> right. He read about Puck's pain and about his, uh, I mean, to be fair, I don't know that Byrne actually had a good sense of the timeline because Puck apparently knew every important person in Europe of the last like 50 years. So like, well, I think Byrne I was queerly planning, like, he was dropping hints that there was something, if not supernatural about Puck, then at the very least, unusual. I mean, he had he had some kind of mystical connection. Right. But Mantlo extrapolates that into something so utterly ridiculous and offensive. We're going we're gonna to get there. We're going to we're gonna yeah, get we're there. Gonna talk about the that. only other thing I want to say, and then ask you all for other things, um, uh, is this, the whole way of, so... As Doug already sort of touched on, you know, and, and we all sort of did, Nemesis didn't go anywhere because Ernest wasn't fully dead. And now she can dissipate or fade away, whatever it is she's doing there at the end, because he is dead. But what I take from that is he just needed to be cut into smaller pieces. Like, I don't get the internal <laughs> logic of when he was Chunks, that wasn't enough. But now that he's smaller pieces, he's definitely gone. It feels a little off to me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what y'all, if that bothered you or not, or if it didn't matter. I, I guess you could interpret it as whatever mystical force, you know, because he has a connection to the physical manifestation of death, whatever that exists is also aware of the future, right? right? So the fact that he was going to come back together was something that was already set even when they defeated yeah, him. The first. Sure. I mean, that's the only way I could in interpret it i mean we did dance around it a little bit but i I, I, forgive me if i'm wrong about this but he she was his daughter right that's that's yes yeah and that's what that's quite clearly i was that girl yeah meaning Uh, his daughter she was his daughter which we haven't really said explicitly but that's literally revealed in like the second and third last panel of the entire thing and then she's just gone but i guess uh, you know that this is treated as being the end of that story um, I, my understanding is maybe Nemesis does come back. Am I right about that? Do you, either of you know if Nemesis does return at some point? 100% no idea. Okay. But I don't know if Deadly Earnest ever does, uh, which, uh, I mean, I did like the idea of him as a character. And again, as I said before, I like the idea of continuing foes that will return, uh, to, to, uh, to confront Alpha Flight. But I don't know if I want him to be that person. I just want them to have, you know, an actual nemesis. I, w- I want to really quick acknowledge this sub story that you put in here in the notes too about, uh, Shaman. You know, we, we see, um, Doug and Snowbird trying to follow him, but apparently being, uh, part divinity doesn't mean you're good at weather and so the weather is bad and so they have to call off and shaman ends up back in the same cabin where he took on his mantle and he's visited again by his grandfather and then he decides to go on the paths of power again uh adriana were you were you stoked on this or not so much well it was nice to see shaman back in the picture and uh you know maybe working towards rejoining alpha flight again uh, I think we should probably talk about what the spirit of his grandfather tells him, which is yeah. that essentially he didn't really lose his powers. He lost his faith. And if he wants to use his powers again, he's going to have to believe in himself. Uh, and he makes a comment that the medicine bag was always empty and that Shaman was able to use it because he believed in his powers, uh, which I thought was interesting because I feel like somebody else doesn't has, really square with that that Chris Star. Yeah, episode somebody else has definitely grabbed his bag <laughs> and was using it at some point. Uh, but Bill Mantlo <laughs> loves retconning things, so was wasn't his daughter trapped inside of it? <laughs> yes. No, all of that doesn't make sense, and also the whole thing. You guys, listeners to this show, because we haven't really talked about it, might not know that I have a, you know, a background in theology and philosophy of religion and whatever. And reading this whole thing about it was always about your faith and your belief. I'm like, oh, so this is a Jesus story now. We've turned this 
into a Jesus story. Cool. Because it's such a Western Christian idea that, like, the real source of power is your ability to believe. And even though we've secularized that now, so now that's, like, what we say about sports, that's, like, very much a European adaptation of Christianity. And it doesn't represent most other belief systems, which tend to be your belief is irrelevant. Power exists in the world. And it's your decision whether to align yourself with that source of goodness or not goodness. That's your decision. It's only in this very sort of, uh, philosophized enlightenment version of Christianity that now we've adapted to all kinds of secular philosophies. It's like all that matters is your belief, and that's where the power comes from. And at reading that, I'm like, oh, it's especially gross that we're injecting this into this uh, supposedly indigenous cosmology. It really bums. It really bummed me out. And you know, it's fine. I, I don't think it's intentional. I think it's just something that we've taken as like a common idea. But you know, as someone who's sort of studied some of that i know more where that's coming from and it 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 didn't make me happy i'd rather it be that his ability to connect to that power or you could get the same thing about his doubt without it being all about just the power of belief absolutely that's what i was going to to add to which is that yeah they could have just easily made that he needs to conquer his own self-doubt which has been prompted by the fact that he feels that he couldn't save the people that he was closest to in his life. And then it, d- it doesn't need to be about this more colonizer version of faith in it. Yeah, that's a really good point, Liam. Not one I actually thought about when I was reading, but now that you- Not me neither, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, that's terrific. Well, it's so Augustine. It's literally like sh- Shaman is apparently in the Augustine version of, you know, Sarsi mysticism. <laughs> and I'm just like, ah, it doesn't even work. Uh, whatever. I'm not going to get into theology on an Alpha Flight podcast, but uh, it just is a strange decision. Um, all right. Well, so we've we've talked a good deal about the plot. Let's talk about the art. This is our last one with uh, uh, Mignola's art. And I, I was happy to see at least one more before we get into other people. Doug, did anything uh, – we'll start with you. Did anything particularly stand out about the art in this issue? Were you happy to see Mignola still on board? Was there something that you particularly liked or maybe something that, like the cover, you didn't think was great? Liam, this might not be a surprise to listeners at this point, but I like I like it when things get spooky. That's my thing. I enjoy the spookiness. So the art, the pieces of this issue that I enjoyed most were, A, when Shaman was actually having the encounter with his grandfather because there was a real experimental – again, I feel like that – what could have been just a guy talking to a skull is presented in such a – a unique and uh, colorful and interesting way that it it you know it I like that the that Alpha Flight as a whole doesn't always uh, go into this kind of Doctor Strange ish mystical tropes but I love that Shaman himself that that's part of his character and that's something where you can have a little fun with the visuals when when that character is involved and again it's something that we've been missing in the last couple of uh, issues so I'm glad to see that back the only other thing that really stood out to me. And again, I like I like Mignola generally, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the art in this issue. And I've been looking ahead at some of the issues that are coming, and boy, I'll be missing him soon enough. But I yeah. do really like um, when they do a couple of panels talking about Deadly Ernest's backstory, and they go back to World War One, and they just do a summary of him and encountering death. The way that that's presented is like right out of like uh, um, – like an old horror comic from the 1950s. It's done yeah. really, really well. And and again, we talk about that all the time. Every time that John Byrne did something that was kind of uh, more horrific or spooky, how much more effective that was, I think that might speak to my own preference rather than anything else. Uh, but I still really like that the touch of that that happens in this issue. But, you know, he pre- he pre- he um he presents the action very well, Mignola, I mean. And the only other thing I wanted to mention was that when Deadly Ernest is getting his, like, arm cut off it's it's weirdly bloodless i mean i understand it's a superhero comic but it is kind of funny it's like he's like an action figure that just comes apart as you as you start swiping at him there's something almost so grotesque about it though because yeah. it seems so inhuman mm-hmm. well i think that's consistent though with issue eight he got chopped up in issue eight and there wasn't any blood either so i i think the suggestion is he's a bloodless servant of death who doesn't have any blood to shed yeah i like that take i like that take um I completely agree with Doug, and those are all the aspects of this issue that I really enjoyed as well uh, in terms of the art. Um, also, that entire sequence in the subway, those those few pa- uh, those couple of pages where Puck is, is tracking Deadly Ernest, um, I just think Mignola builds tension really well in how he lays out that sequence. 
I think there another example of that for me was when Northstar and Aurora are flying at Ernest and he just reaches his hands back. It's just like one quick panel, but just something about it the the uh confidence with which he knows that these two people who are like the fastest people on earth, he's going to get them and he get and he does. And it's like it, the the look on his face of like I don't know, just something about that panel was kind of haunting a little bit of like, oh, right, this guy really is like the real deal, you know? Um, I, I really appreciated that. Uh, I have to agree with, with y'all as well, especially with you, Adriana, on the, the subway stuff with Puck. Like, a lot of the action in that sequence really wait, works, and it really gives you a sense of Puck's, like, uh, agility and ability to, like, fight Ernest. Uh, and I also want to lift up that uh, the in the cabin with Shaman because uh, – uh, Shaman's looking hot there too. You guys notice that <laughs> Shaman's like, yeah, he's so built and sexy mm-hmm. in that scene. And I was like, you know, I guess we got a little bit of that in the in the backstory uh, uh, short backstory. thing. Remember where 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 we were getting like Shaman mystically and physically training in the woods. I guess we got a little sure. bit. But for the most part, we don't see Shaman that way. So having uh, Mignola draw him that way, I was like, oh. All right, Shaman, doing your thing. I see. It's time to go. I like meet. that your thirst continues. <laughs> yeah, move over, Hulk. Shaman is daddy. Well, I mean, if I if I gotta choose, I prefer Hulk to, to Shaman. <laughs> I, I'm more just. A, I just more appreciate that. Like, uh, and and I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but maybe for other people, the you know, it doesn't seem like Shaman gets represented that way enough. But we're supposed to believe that he's also physically superior. Like that's what we're told about him. That mystically training also made him physically superior and we don't see it a lot so suddenly having that shoved in our face in this little sub story i was like oh okay that's cool because that works that's who the character is so i i just appreciated that at that level too so anyway i'm, I'm sure that's enough about this issue uh but i know we had something to talk about with the with the letters with the letters to the editor here uh doug what's going on with these letters that you included in our notes well, I, I just want to bring this up really quickly. One, I just want to say that uh, back in 1986, Chris Buchanan and Lee Russell uh, both wrote in, and they're asking, where the heck is Marina? They Who want cares? to see no Marina return. And a boy, they're like, Chris, Lee, you're my brothers from different mothers. Just like you, we're all wondering where Marina is. We're hoping that she's going to return very soon. And uh, and I'm glad that even at the time, people were like, Marina's our favorite character. Please bring her back so we can see more of her <laughs> adventures this in the This can't be real. This was fake. There's no <laughs> way people actually wrote this. But there's actually a really interesting letter from a Joshua Layton uh, from Azusa, California, which actually harkens back to the very second issue of Alpha Flight, where Shaman mentions to... Um, I think he was speaking specifically to uh, Vindicator at the time that Canada has nothing to vindicate, which is why the name didn't make any sense. And Joshua quite rightly mentions not only does he list a lot of uh, endangered and extinct species within Canada, but also that the Beothic tribe of Newfoundland, which is, of course, where I grew up, that they were wiped out entirely in the 19th century. Uh, and, of course, that he doesn't even um, mention the fact that uh, the genocide that was has that has been done and has continued to happen within Canada regarding indigenous people right throughout the country. I'm glad that the hypocrisy of that was brought up, uh, even if the the response to it in the letters column is very much, oh, you want a no prize, you know, like some sort of joke. But, you know, I think it is something worth taking seriously, and it's something we brought up in the past. Um, and uh, there's also, yeah. But the main thing to take away from this letter column, aside from the fact that a lot of readers of Alpha Flight are really on the ball, is that the people want Marina... She's coming back. I can feel it in my bones, Liam. Well, I find that uh, almost as offensive as the next issue we're going to talk about, which is uh, Alpha Flight number 32 from March 1986. The cover is by our man Mike Mignola. It's written by Bill Mantlo. But the issue is uh, penciled by John Bogdanovi? Or Bogdanovi, maybe? Bogdanovi? Uh, this is his first work for Marvel. Uh, after this, he moved on to Power Pack, uh, and in 1991, joined DC to do the Man of Steel. Uh, that's all very interesting, I guess. We're going to talk a little bit about how we feel about his work, <laughs> especially after replacing Mike. It's big shoes to fill. But before we get to that, Doug, what happens in this story? All right, this issue is uh, the story is called Short Story, Liam. Oh boy! All right, so. Let's start with the easy part. Realizing that she in no way deserves to be the leader of Alpha Flight, Heather has started wearing the super suit under the watchful eyes of Box and Jeffries, and she's training in the Alpha Flight's new danger room. 
She actually asks Puck to help train her, but he refuses, and she gets really whiny, even though he saves her life, like, literally seconds later. Also, she breaks her glasses, so Box gives her some very silly-looking, indestructible prescription sunglasses that look kind of like, uh, like ski goggles. Uh, except bright red. And once again, she leaves the headquarters in a hurry, completely not telling anyone where she's going and skirting her responsibility to the team. So this is where the issue gets really, really weird. (laughs) So you know how Puck is diminutive and he's always in pain and you would figure it has something to do with his bone structure or something like that. Apparently, the reason he's always in pain is because he has an ancient demon inside of him called the Black Razor, which is also responsible for his small size. So in a moment of weakness, uh, Puck releases the demon, restoring both his actual size. He's he's a a 6'6 monster. And his age, apparently he's like in his 70s or something like that. Turns out the demon actually keeps him young and keeps him small. So Razor ends up attacking Aurora, Northstar, and Box, literally cutting them down to size before Puck realizes it's actually, it's his duty to contain the creature because he wants to keep on living. He accepts it once again into his body. This restores the rest of Alpha Flight to their regular size, who all must be very, very confused uh, by what happened, uh, but not as confused as I was. <laughs> Wow, that is a lot. It is mm. a lot. Before we get into the various ways that this issue might be an, a problem, let's talk about the cover, which is less of a problem, maybe? Uh, Adriana, what do you think of the art on this color- cover? Still our man Mike uh, doing his thing to get us into this issue. What do you think about it? Well, uh, it's better than the previous cover. Uh it looks very interesting. Like so, so you see Razor. He's featured pretty prominently in the. Uh, it looks almost like ink blots or something that he's composed of. Yeah. Uh, it looks really neat, actually. Um, and the contrast between the blue and the light pinkish color is nice as well. Um, there's a weird thing happening here again, though. Um, and I'm I'm not sure how much of it comes down to like ill-defined penciling or a coloring error. But if you look at North Star. He's supposed to be flying through the air, but it just looks like a block of color where his leg should be. Um, again, uh, it's just not articulated very well on the page. But uh, overall, I like this cover. I actually kind of like this version of what he was trying to do in the last issue with Northstar, only because Northstar moves at the speed of whatever. I don't think it's light, but he moves very quickly. So it makes more sense. He would be a little bit blurred. I was more distracted in the sense of um, we also see uh, Heather, I guess. I don't know if she's taken the name as Vindicator yet, but that's who she's going to be. And to indicate that she's flying, she has one sort of line coming off of one foot. And I don't quite understand if that's like an energy sort of trailing off behind her or it it just was more distracting to me because I didn't quite understand what it was supposed to be showing me if that's just like a movement line or what, but it's, it's a weird, for me, it's a weird decision. I don't understand it. It was distracting. Uh, But otherwise I really like this cover a lot. Doug, what do you think about the art on uh, issue number 32? Yeah, no, it's obviously a big improvement over the last one. Uh, I, I, I mean, Adriana mentioned it, but the the way that um, this demon character is presented, I think, is very striking. But it does seem like the focus of this cover is Heather as the new Vindicator. I mean, it is the the focus. They've got the text thing there. She's front and well, not center, but slightly to the right. But even in the little box in the top left hand corner, you know, she's presented as being separate from the rest of Alpha Flight. So the fact that this confrontation that we're seeing here, that she's not even a part of it. You might as well interpret it, her on the cover as, oh, I'm taking off and I'm leaving you guys as you have to deal with this. Again, it, it doesn't seem to square with the story proper, but I'm hoping that's something that they'll end up dealing with in the long run. Um, I have been expecting this for a long time, the fact that Heather it was going to don this costume. I mean, they've been setting it up and, and this they pulled the trigger very quickly, much faster than I was expecting. But I've been expecting this for a long time. But I really feel like the issue where she puts it on, that's the one where she should prove herself. So the fact that she, that it's kind of, this issue splits into two halves with her taking off and then the, 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 um, puck thing taking the, 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 the rest of the issue and is the center of it. It's just really unusual. So the fact that the issue proper is so strangely plotted, the fact that, that this doesn't really square with that, that doesn't bother me necessarily. Uh, it's probably the, the most that you could do to make an issue like this seem a little more alluring and interesting, uh, all things considered. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, well, I, I, I am really impressed by this 
by by how Razor looks on the cover. And in fact, I wish yeah. he looked this cool in the rest of the <laughs> issue. Uh, but, but I really appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit about this story. Um, God, Adriana, uh, you, do you love this issue? Do you hate this issue? What do you think about this issue? I want to forget that it exists. <laughs> Can we just go right to the puck problem? Sure. Yeah, I don't. I I think the intro stuff with her, with Heather, and the training, it's just more of treating her like a child, and it's not even worth really getting into because there's not much there. The issue is really about Puck and about this insane thing that we're being told about him and about who he is. Uh, so let's just go there first. Yeah, and Doug already covered that in his intro, so I don't think we need to set it up any further, really. Um, you know, I already mentioned that Byrne was dropping hints that Puck was older than he seemed, uh, and that there was more to his story than what he was letting on. But, uh, I definitely, I don't think this is what Byrne had in mind, and it's certainly not anything I would have anticipated had I not already read this issue. But, uh, yeah, so, so at one point, during this flashback that we see where Puck is recounting exactly what happened to him and his history with Razor... Uh, as he's facing off against Razor, he says to him, You'd make men small, shrivel, and steal their souls and reduce them to nothingness. <laughs> and that's supposed to be our takeaway about his physical condition. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure Mantlo did not sit down to write this issue with the intention of smearing short-statured people and denying their humanity. But that is the message being sent here subtextually. And it's not only grossly insensitive in the obvious way, because it's super ableist and dehumanizing, but also because one of the really great things about Puck as a character is that he has always taken what life has dealt him in stride. And he wasn't someone who wallowed in shame or self-pity about who he was. He lived proudly, and it was really refreshing to see that portrayed in a superhero comic. And then all of this just completely bulldozes that. Uh, it, it, it's strange because Mantlo does seem like to like Puck as a character, but it doesn't seem like he really understands or appreciate him uh, or what Byrne has crafted. And, and to take Puck's pain from, you know, whatever orthopedic conditions he has related to his type of dwarfism and to say, oh, actually, it, it's a renegade sorcerer imprisoned inside him. It's uh, terrible. Uh, it's so stupid and unnecessary and trivializing. Like, I, I can't imagine it would seem like a good idea, even in the mid-80s when this was written. Like, it's bizarre. Uh, I agree with everything you're saying, but I bet that Doug doesn't. So I'm going to throw it to Doug first. <laughs> uh, this is a really distressing issue to read. Right? Um, it is. It, 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 I feel like it undoes a lot of what I like about Puck as a character in a, in a, in a kind of a permanently damaging way even the idea that he has this guilt about his past is something that's like brand new that's just that he only introduced that in the last issue and now it's like a defining part of who he is like that he was this criminal uh and instead of you know i like the idea of him as like an adventurer banging around with ernest hemingway and like you know just so it to me it it really undermines a lot of what i like about this character uh and i mean adriana summed it up very very well the fact that it's it's presenting this unique aspect of him and something that he that he overcomes in some way in the, in terms of not his height but the de- the the physical uh, uh, pain that it causes him that just makes him more of a hero. But in this case, it's there's something a little weirdly selfish about the fact that yeah, okay, of course he the, he is containing this demon, but he even says it's like. I want to keep living, so this is why I'm going to do this. It's just a really odd aspect to his character. And I don't know how often they're going to bring up the fact that he has a demon inside of him at all times. Also, what a weird thing for the demon to do. It slices you with, like, a sword, and if you get cut with it, it makes you half the height that you were before. What are, like, it's like they designed it specifically for Puck, but when you think about it on a grander scale, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. Like what? Well, it, and, and it's literally equating people's height to their life force. That, like, that's exactly yeah, right. I mean, that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, one hundred percent. It doesn't make. Not only does it not make any sense, it it in its it unintentionally, I think, but still accomplishes this goal of making people who might be of shorter stature feel bad about who they are. 
Absolutely. And I mean, they, they reinforce that again. We've heard it with, with the box character too, who of course is, um, is of similar stature. There's even an interaction between Puck and Box where Puck is very upset about Heather and things like that. And Box is trying to reassure him and he's like, you help me. What kind of help can a cripple offer a cripple? Which is like, it, it's supposed to be representative of Puck being really, really upset, but it, it feels a little too much like the author is coming through because of what we've seen so far uh, in other issues that Bill Mantlo has written. So it's 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 let, really bothersome. Well, and let's be clear, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Like, A, that doesn't actually describe his situation. In fact, yeah. Puck is more able That's than right. most able, what we would consider normative-bodied, able-bodied, whatever you want to say, people. He's better than them. He's way yeah. better than them. So he certainly is not... He's one of the few members of Alpha Flight who doesn't actually have defined powers. It's all his own ability. And this backstory makes that even more inconsistent. Let's also say, uh, okay, the story itself for me is... Like, I actually have to say this. I'm so glad we're talking about this, y'all, because let me be clear. <laughs> let me be clear about something. As a kid, I knew I didn't like this as a backstory, but I didn't have words for why. And I had never come back to it because I didn't really need to. I just knew. And and faithful listeners of the show will know I've been hinting at this for a while, not trying to give spoilers, but saying like, well, I think there's something else going on with Puck. And only now in reading it, am I realizing I was projecting Bill Mantlo's crappy retcon onto earlier issues, which I don't now think Byrne intended this at all, anything like this. I just remembered, well, at some point there's a mystical reason. So I'm projecting that as I'm reading and that's not real. Now rereading it, as an adult who is more sensitive to things like this, I'm not just bummed out, oh, this is not a good piece of writing. I'm also like, how gross, you know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm so glad we're coming back to it because it hel- is helping me realize that the original idea of Puck, of him being an incredibly impressive uh, adventurer who is simply not uh, a normative body type, was actually really great. And that burn should have been given a little more credit for for creating that character in the first place, even though there might have been other things he did that were not great. But that still was cool in and of itself. And now to take that away is so gross. But it also is internally inconsistent. The whole thing of the story is him telling us, I was such a bad dude. I didn't care about anyone's lives. I just wanted to explore mysteries and whatever. And then I realized I had to trap this demon inside of me. (laughs) And he was trapped because of the light of my spirit. You just told us a whole story about how you were a jerk, how you were actually a bad dude. But then we're supposed to believe that the light of your spirit is what contained this guy. And only now that you're feeling down and out because you murdered deadly earnest, suddenly you don't have enough, what, moral fiber or internal joy to hold him in it doesn't make sense everything we're told about the character he shouldn't be able literally his corruption is what wakes razor up but then he has enough internal fortitude to hold him in it it doesn't work in and of itself and then what it is is it's like it's both illogical in its consistency and then it's also an offensive idea it feels to me, and and Doug, I'd like to get your take on this as well. It feels to me like Bill Mantlo felt like Puck is a fun character, but he needs more complexity. And, and honestly, this this yeah. seems like a theme in his writing. Instead, he gets Alpha Flight back together and ready to go as a team and sends him on these missions. And immediately, he's cutting him down uh, in a way even more excessive, I think, than what Byrne did. And it's almost like what's going to make Alpha Flight compelling is their foibles, their failures, their weaknesses, their inconsistencies. And so we need to give Puck a big source of pain because he's too happy-go-lucky. He's, he's, he's too okay with who he is. We need to really sort of put things in his way and impede the joy that he brings to the team so that he becomes a dark character. <laughs> and I hate that. <laughs> um, I, I, yes, you're 100 percent right. I do to defend Mantlo a little bit. Puck is one of the few characters in this comic who has a very ill-defined backstory. We don't really right. know that much about his past, and I do think that what you said there's a real element of that, which is he really likes this character. You wouldn't know that from what he's putting him through here, but I do think that he wants to. He, 
because he has this gap, he's like, well, I'm going to fill it with interesting things. You know, I'm going to fill it with a past where he's feels really conflicted about the things that he's done. And that's something we can explore in the future. And even on top of that, we know that he has his pain. Well, what's his pain being caused by? It's a demon. It's like, it, it, it's basically adding a lot of character to a, uh, a character that doesn't need it because he's already interesting enough. But I think there's a fear that if, if a character is happy or seems happy, that, uh, that, for whatever reason that that character is less interesting. And I think that, that you see that a lot throughout comics that it, there's, yeah, that you need that. And that, I think you actually touched on it just then, Liam, the idea that you have to put these uh, impediments in front of them. Uh, and that's true to some extent, right? I mean, you can still, you could still put a lot of, of uh, conflicts in front of Puck and have him fight through them and almost fail and then win and then be happy again. And I think that would be very satisfying as a reader to see. But, uh, but I think in this case, they just went way too far. And because it changes the essence of what that character is, I worry that now as we go forward, that I'm going to think less of the character because of how this has sort of colored my view going forward. Also, uh, I can tell you, you, know, you cannot, um, connect someone's height to their goodness or their uh or how um how content they are with the world because just like puck i'm six six and i'm not content at all i'm unhappy all the time <laughs> i would not look to you to contain a demon with, within you it, it wouldn't work <laughs> also you're telling me that when he's sleeping when heather was watching him sleep and he's like oh he's in all this, this pain it's because he's internally fighting a demon while he's asleep i guess also this whole life of adventuring. Yeah, right. This whole life of adventuring and murder and whatever else he's been doing with his crazy life, none of it actually ever put him in danger of releasing the Black Razor until having a fight with Heather. And that was the final straw. That was. He just loves her so much. It just seems like it's been a really long time for this to be. I mean, I guess he also kills Deadly Earnest, right? But we're sort of told that before he joined. Uh, gamma flight that he had killed some other people so like yeah. it's just not clear why this is the moment either i don't know i we, we could pull this apart too hard i don't want to do that but i do think it's worth naming how the various ways that this issue was unsatisfying well i i think it has to do with his vulnerability like because he's feeling feelings for heather that he hasn't felt in a really long time for anybody so he's in a vulnerable state and that's what's making him susceptible to razor and Razor was able to, to take advantage of that and escape. Um, but there are a lot of very strange logistical problems with this whole backstory. So, yeah, I think the text does actually kind of explain this. It just feels weird because he's had Razor now for, uh, what is it, 50 years, right? Is that Am I doing my math right there? Oh, not quite 50 years? Yeah, about 50 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels like... I mean, maybe they're just reserving, like, maybe this has happened before and he's had to deal with this. But the way they write it is not that. The way they write it is, we've been on a continuous chain of him holding this thing back. And now it's this is a step too far. And it's finally gotten out. And it just didn't work for me as a reader. But whatever. I mean, it's not the end of the world. It's certainly not the worst part of the issue. The worst part being taking away this really sort of... I mean, not perfect, but more empowering character and making it something else entirely is not my favorite use of Puck in the world. <laughs> and how this is going to be now for the rest of the team is going to be, I'm sure, also annoying. But it is what it is. Uh, anything else we want to say about this story before we move on to the art? Those uh, those new glasses that Heather is going to have to wear, I think they look really, really lame. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I I kind of like them, but I get I get, yeah, I get what you're you, you're less enamored of the '80s as I am. I mean, she I mean, she looks like when she's wearing them, she looks like she has some sort of skier gimmick on. Uh, it just it's just really strange to me. But also the idea, like the whole Heather part has obviously bothered me, and I'm I am re- legitimately it might not seem this way looking forward to her now evolving into a really strong leader of Alpha Flight. I know people like this character. I'm waiting for that to happen, and I'm anticipating, and I'm not going to fight it. But she's such a jerk to Puck at the beginning of this issue, who has quite reasonable reservations. She didn't tell anybody that she was just going to start wearing this suit because she was feeling like she wasn't providing anything to the team. And also, like, all of a sudden, I want combat training. Let's do some combat training. It's like, you had months and months. Why, why didn't you do some training then? Learn how to throw a punch, that sort of thing. I just feel really 
strange about this character, and I want I want her to be rehabilitated. Yeah, I feel similarly, and and it's not like we don't have context, right? Like, there's no there. We had that scene with Talisman doing combat training uh, when she didn't necessarily like her powers don't necessitate her punching or kicking yeah. anything, but she was doing it. So what's Heather been doing with herself that she couldn't at least you know get a little bit of training down? But yeah, I I don't know. It, it's also the 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 way that they characterize it, and we'll see this in future issues. Is just that she has to learn how to wield power, which I feel like is a little too abstract like she literally you know has to learn how to manipulate electromagnetic forces that might take a little more precise training than puck is actually able to give her but maybe not i don't know i don't know it's 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 a weird that that whole thing's a little strange uh i'd like for us to transition now to the art in this issue mm. and talk a little bit about how we felt like uh bogdanove 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 did yeah uh you know he, he's gonna go on and do some other things so you know, he seems to have a, a career under his belt how do we feel about his art in this issue i'll start with you doug did you like it did you hate it what'd you think thanks for starting with me liam the best thing about uh john bogdanovey's uh art is that it starts with um uh, heather's ass on the front uh image just like it's just so like what is going on in that first image what a weird introduction that we have here i guess they really want to uh reiterate that this is a skin tight suit but uh i have to say i had some real difficulty adjusting to the art in this issue um and it, there's nothing overtly wrong with it it probably doesn't help that it starts in the danger room which again you can be really creative with the dangers in the danger room especially because you have jeffries who on top of the regular dangers can kind of twist the metal around and make his own kind of of things even though for some reason it doesn't seem to work always which i mean i guess that's a kind of a cliche about the danger room generally but that was a real opportunity to get creative, but it's just a lot of grays and explosions, and it doesn't really do anything for me. Uh, the characters, they look fine, but I preferred how Mignola – actually, I think, like I even said in the recent episode of the show, I think I preferred how Mignola draws the characters to even burn sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I just – maybe it's just because there wasn't enough action generally uh, in this issue. So I haven't really got a taste of what his strengths are as an artist. Uh, I do have to say that the demon, once it's released, I do like how that looks. I like the design of it. Though it does, even that kind of feels like it's a character from another time. Uh, it, 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 maybe it's just because of the, the, this black blade of Baghdad thing that, uh, that Puck, um, originally was going after. It just, that just seems so out of touch with the kind of stories that have been being told in Alpha Flight. But I guess I, sh I should embrace this kind of pulp adventurer background of Puck. But again, it, it was so undermined by what we learned in this issue that I can't possibly care about it. But yeah, I just have to say, like again, there's nothing wrong. And of course, this is very early in his career as an, as an artist for one of the big two. Um, I do want to say that the fact that, <laughs> that Puck... The way that he brings the demon back into himself is to stab himself through the top of his head. Uh, that is presented kind of grotesquely in a really kind of pleasant way for me, though I have to say I thought it looked so silly that I was laughing at it, even though it's supposed to be the big dramatic moment of the entire issue. Look, I don't want to make any rash judgments here uh obviously they they gave him this guy superman later on so he has chops but uh it has yet to impress me his art and i don't know if we'll ever get a chance for for him to to impress me on alpha flight well doug burning our bridges for that interview adriana uh -huh. what, what what did you think of the art uh i pretty much agree with doug um the character design for razor is what really stood out to me as well if I had to pick one word to describe the art in this issue, uh, it would it would probably be safe. Mm. Um, I mean, if you look at what Byrne was doing, and especially Mignola, there was a lot of playfulness and creativity uh, in terms of the page layouts, and we're just not seeing any of that here. Uh, it's all pretty straightforward with how the panels are laid out, and not to say that's bad. Uh, and as Doug pointed out, this was very early in the artist's career, so the fact that he was playing it safe is not that surprising. It's just jarring to transition from what Mignola was doing to what we're seeing here. 
Yeah, I'm going to agree with both of you. And, and I think that's a really great description there, Adriana, of safe. It's very safe. The only thing I found myself, I like the, I do like the Razor design, though. I think it would have been cooler if it was like it was on the cover. Uh, but uh, I do kind of like, I, I, I. this is a weird detail. I thought uh, non, like, old man Puck's face. I kind of liked old man Puck's face. There's, <laughs> there's a couple of sh- close-up shots of it that I thought, Oh, that that's actually pretty good. That kind of works. I, I appreciate that. Uh, that was about it, though. A lot of uh, the art, it, again, nothing. Uh, there was nothing that stuck out to me as like this is bad. This is a real mistake. Nothing like that. But it just was just kind of there. And uh, again, I think it's a contrast thing, right? We went from Burn to Mignola. The, those are both really experimental, fun guys. Sometimes what they do, maybe I don't love. But I like the fun of trying different things, and this again was very safe, and and that is just not as interesting um, it, for me in this book. So again, it's not bad. It's not I'm not trashing it or anything like that. But um, it was a weird thing to go from uh, a pretty visually interesting uh, comic to something that sort of was just there. It just it was. It existed. It was what it was. <laughs> Man, that's like yeah. I'm not trying to. To, to dang it with f- faint praise here, but I'm just saying it just wasn't uh, anything that great. So, all right. Well, uh, that was issues uh, 31 and 32. One uh, we seem to think was pretty good, and one uh, not so excited about. Uh, we're we're going to be uh, on our next episode talking about issues 33 and 34. We'd love for you to read ahead so that um, you'll be ready uh, to hear what, what we're talking about. We also would love if you uh, want to hit us up on the socials. Let us know what you think, not just of this episode and past episodes, but also of what you're reading. Let us know as you're reading along how it's hitting you, if you're stoked on uh, uh, Mantlo and, and the stuff he's doing, if you think that um, Punk, Puck has been ruined for all time. Whatever your takes are, we want to hear them. So hit us up on the socials. Uh, Adriana, what is, what is our Twitter if they're on the, on the Twitter? You can find us on Twitter at FlightStuffPod. Doug, what is your what is your Twitter? I am available on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. And yeah, I'll accept all hate mail and complaints, uh, and I'll respond too. Hey, I'm right here to hear what you. Have Adriana, to say. if for some reason someone wants to uh, find you on the Twitter, mostly because you're one of my favorite Twitter people, well, where would they find you? You can find me at E A D X B B. And go ahead and uh, throw Cinepunks a follow on Twitter, on Instagram, on the old Facebook, uh, all C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. You can find us on all three platforms there. You can also shoot us an email if you want to come, you know, let me know something about the network as a whole. Uh, but let check out Cinepunks. Check out Cinepunks.com. Check out some of the other shows on the network. Uh, Wine and Cheese, an exploration of uh, whiny music and cheesy movies. Uh, the Evil Eye, an exploration of goth and film. Uh, and uh, Horror Business, uh, a podcast about horror movies. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, Tomb of Ideas, uh, the, the only podcast I know of focused exclusively on Marvel horror comics. There's probably another one out there that's going to get mad at me now, but that's fine. I can take it. Uh, so check out Cinepunks.com. We also want to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Thanks for uh, supporting us on Patreon. If you're interested in that, we're going to have some uh, exclusive content there soon, which I say all the time, but I really do mean it. And uh, um, we want to thank uh, our unofficial official sponsors, LVAC. If you got anything to be screen printed, check out XLVACX.com. But for now, that's that's all I got. I'm excited to get on here with our uh, Bill Mantlo adventure, and we hope you'll join us into the future. Uh, Until then, flight stuff out.